Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick, and I don't know how my background sounds right now. I'm on a different microphone because I'm not at home. I'm in Hawaii on the island of Maui, actually. It's the first vacation my family has taken in almost six years. Although I have been very fortunate to travel literally all over the world, working with merchants and select solution providers internationally, it's always work travel. And while work travel can be fun, it's not the same as a vacation. So we're here with my whole fam family, as we say, celebrating my mother's retirement from being a teacher of, I don't even know, a lot of years. Anyway, as they say, though, the show must go on. And I was so fortunate to be able to record the interviews with Dominic Squio from this past Tuesday, as well as the one coming up this next week with Stephen Sargent, who is just brilliant when it comes to crypto compliance and AML. And I know you guys are really going to enjoy listening to him, especially as he talks a lot about how all those things impact fraud and how there's just a lot of opportunity in the crypto world. So that will be fun for you to listen to on Tuesday. And today I had a little bit of fraud news that I thought would be fun to share. But actually, I just I thought I'd share like a really short, fun story because I was already looking forward to this vacation, even more so after I learned that one of my favorite people in online payments, which Payments and fraud really go hand in hand with each other, not just because oftentimes we end up at the same conferences and all of that, but there's just so many things that are in between. And I have been friends with this person in payments for, oh gosh, like 10 years. We used to be known as the payments twins because I do not know half as much payments as she does, but I do know uh, quite a bit. But she is here in Maui the same week as I am with her family and will only be 10 minutes away. It was a total coincidence. We hadn't talked to each other in a few weeks. And so I texted her, hey, can you you talk on Sunday? Uh, Because I knew we were flying out on Monday. And she said, we're flying to Maui on Sunday, so I can call you when we get settled. And I'm like, wait, what? But that's just one of my favorite aspects of the online fraud and payment space. Like, it's full of great humans. And I've developed some really strong friendships. And there's just so much camaraderie. And I think that a lot of us have similar personality traits, so we're easy to relate to. And I mean, we're not all going to be best friends by any means, but it certainly is just there's something about that connection where you just kind of get each other in a different way than the people elsewhere. And hopefully you can relate to that. So like I said, even though I'm on vacation while you hear this, the show must go on. And I actually wrote out an outline yesterday, totally was thinking, oh, I'm going to record this before I before we leave. No problem. And like with most everything in my life, 
packing and all the last minute details from getting the pet ready to a kid ready and everything else just took so much longer than I thought. So I'm recording this from the condo. But I wrote out an outline and I feel like I've said this before too. Like sometimes I'll start an outline and I'm like, this is not what I want to talk about. So I'm going to do that next week. I have been promising a Ask Crease Anything vendor edition and that is coming next Thursday. For those of you who, you know, have been waiting for that, there's actually a couple of people that I've said, hey, I just can't answer this question right now because I'm not a client, but you know what? I will answer it on the podcast and then two birds, one stone, that whole thing. So what I wanted to talk about this week was actually something that happened two weeks ago, but it really didn't get much news at all. At least on my LinkedIn feed, Marianne Miller sent me the or texted me the the link to this article just saying that the FTC had is civilly suing Walmart. And so I read it and thought, that's okay. And then I didn't really think anything of it. But then when I went back to look more, I noticed that Walmart, in response to that lawsuit, had published what they're doing to prevent fraud within their stores, as well as online channels when it comes to money transfers. And I thought it's a good opportunity to use a specific merchant as an example as we go through, you know, their areas of focus and I'll share any related best practices and or content there. It's kind of freeing in a way. Like I get to talk about a specific merchant because they're in a headline, because there is actual public news about it. But I will not be sharing. I'm very careful to. This is one of the reasons why I write out these outlines. Very careful not to share any information I might know that hasn't been made public. So definitely just throwing that out there. And before you share that info for Mama, I just wanted to ask everyone to share Fraudology with at least one person this week. We grew rapidly in Q1 and we're still growing, just not as fast as I was getting used to in the first quarter. I mean, we have over 6,000 people listen to this podcast a month. So that's not... It's nothing. That's not nothing. I mean, that's huge. But I really want to keep growing and extending our reach. And I know there are a lot more people interested in online fraud and that fight online fraud. You can also rate on Apple or Spotify, review on Apple, post about your favorite episode of Fraudology on LinkedIn, share with your team on Slack or Microsoft Teams. There was one very large company that was excited to show me when I was at a conference with them recently that they actually added Fraudology to their intranet page for educational resources, not just for the fraud team, but actually for the whole company if they're interested in learning about fraud. So that was just, that was very sweet and humbling. And I appreciate everyone's support. I don't plug that very often. I don't ask for help. And it's not because I need it. It's just because I want it. I mean, I feel like I put a lot of work into this and I'm grateful to have an amazing partnerships and sponsors to take care of it. Every once in a while, I think it's good to do a little something back. So the way I wrote this on the airplane, and no, I wasn't drinking. I mean, water, but that's boring. But the way I wrote this on the plane was, so Walmart did a thing. I really don't actually like that phrase, but Actually, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S., made the first move when they sued Walmart civilly. So this wasn't criminally, it was civilly. I don't know how common that is or not, actually. So that's something I'm, I I don't know if they usually sue civilly. I thought it was more, I don't know. Maybe that's what they always do. But the FTC claims that Walmart, and this is the exact verbiage from the court filing, so I want to make sure this this is not my interpretation. So we're going to start the quotation marks now. 
turned a blind eye while scammers took advantage of its failures to properly secure the money transfer services offered at Walmart stores. End quote. They say this is between 2013 and 2018. This, all of this was published June 28, 2022. So like I said, it was a couple weeks ago. It's still relevant as far as I know. So as a result of this lawsuit, Walmart put out a press release to counter the statements of the FTC and to demonstrate their commitment to consumer safety and fraud prevention. So first I'll read the FTC statement for you to better understand their claims and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit more. So here's what I highlighted from this press release from the FTC dated June 28, 2022. The Federal Trade Commission today sued Walmart for allowing its money transfer services to be used by fraudsters who fleeced consumers out of hundreds of millions of dollars. In its lawsuit, the FTC alleges that for years the company turned a blind eye while scammers took advantage of its failure to properly secure the money transfer services offered at Walmart stores. And then here's another, here's a quote from someone at the FTC. While scammers used its, its money transfer services to make off with cash, Walmart looked the other way and pocketed millions in fees, said Samuel Levine, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. And starting the quote again, consumers have lost hundreds of millions of dollars and the commission is holding Walmart accountable for letting fraudsters fleece its customers. Wow, that's harsh. In addition to its retail business, Walmart offers financial services to consumers in its stores, including money transfers, credit cards, reloadable debit cards, check cashing, bill payments, and more. Walmart acts as an agent for multiple money transferring services, including MoneyGram and Western Union, offering some services under its own brand, like Walmart to Walmart and Walmart to World. According to the complaint, tens of millions of money transfers are sent or received at Walmart stores each year, where they are processed by Walmart employees. Okay, reading a little bit more here. Walmart's practice of turning a blind eye of to fraud had grave consequences for consumers, according to the complaint. The complaint cites numerous instances in which law enforcement investigations found that scammers relied on Walmart money transfers as a primary way to receive payments, including in telemarketing schemes like IRS impersonation schemes, relative-in-need grandparent schemes, sweepstakes scams, and others. Based on information from fraud databases maintained by MoneyGram, Western Union and RIA from 2013 to 2018, more than $197 million in payments that were the subject of fraud complaints were sent or received at Walmart, with more than $1.3 billion in related payments also possibly connected to the fraud. Whew, the FTC's investigation of Walmart's money transferring practices showed, according to the complaint, that Walmart knew about the role money transfer services play in scams and fraud. Despite that, the company's money transfer services harmed consumers in many numerous ways, including, okay, I'm not going to read every paragraph, but I'll just read the the main headline of each of these bullet points. So allowing the payout of suspicious transfers. Basically, there's some Walmart reference guide for employees that was cited here saying, if you suspect fraud, complete the transaction. Walmart did not begin training employees to deny fraudulent payouts until at least May 2017. But even then, it provided its training only to employees at a limited number of locations. Again, here's another bullet point. Having no anti-fraud policy or an ineffective 
poorly enforced policy. So it says Walmart did not have a written anti-fraud or consumer protection program until November 2014. After that time, the complaint cites numerous instances in which Walmart failed to have an effective program or violated its own policies. Allowing cash pickups for large payments, unlike most other outlets where money transfers can be received, Walmart pays even large payments in cash. In addition, the complaint notes that scammers were often able to retrieve their payments from Walmart using fake IDs. This made it an attractive option for fraudsters looking to conceal their identities. Another bullet, not providing materials to prevent consumers from sending fraudulent payments. So not really educating consumers on, hey, this could potentially be fraud if this or that. Failing to effectively train or retrain staff. And then lastly, allowing money transfers to be used for telemarketing purchases. So the FTC's telemarketing sales rule has since 2016 prohibited money transfers from being used to pay for telemarketing purchases because of the high risk of fraud. But the complaint alleges that for years, Walmart failed to take steps to comply with that provision. The commission vote to file the civil penalty complaint was 3-2. And it says like who voted for it and who didn't. So that's a lot to decompress. But basically, the FTC is saying that they felt like Walmart not only was used by fraudsters to have victims wire money to them, but the FTC feels strongly that Walmart turned a blind eye. I actually have a personal story to this, and it is an anecdote. And I know, I mean, I'm usually try to be more analytical than anecdotes when it comes to looking at trend analysis, but anecdotes can be better for understanding, just kind of putting it, understanding how it works and all that. So several years ago, and I'm trying to remember the year, it had to have been 20, oh no, it was after 2014. It was probably 2015, 2016. My very close family member of mine who was elderly was the victim of a phone scam. It was a guy from, I think, Philippines or Vietnam calling daily and befriending her and she was lonely and over time he said that he had this opportunity for there to be a lottery and she would win for sure and just all the things he knew that she wanted to leave a bigger legacy for her family than she could though her legacy in my eyes was so much more than a bank account balance but anyway she ultimately ended up like this was weeks and weeks went by from what we understand of him just calling and talking to her and stuff and then Finally, he instructed her to wire some money to her. And I think it was under the guise of, you send me a couple thousand dollars for processing fees and you'll win this big sweepstakes that we have over here or something like that. And that generation is especially trusting. And even though I was like, don't you know what I do for a living? Why didn't you ask me? Like, there's just shame and secrecy. And anyway, all the things, right? There's no, there's no point in blaming the victim. It's just a matter of me feeling like I should have done something more, but I didn't know about it till it had already happened. But anyway, she was instructed to go to the Walmart in her small town and for, I think it was $4,000 USD internationally using one of the wire services. And when she went to Walmart, the person asked her who it was for and if she knew them and all that. And they said, this is international and I just don't, we, we really can't do this for you. And so they completely declined it and said, we feel like this is a scam. And I know that you probably feel like you know this person. If you do, maybe you need to find out if there's another way you can pay them because we're not going to be able to help you. So she went back to her home and the guy called and was wondering where the money was. And she said, they said that they wouldn't do it because it seemed suspicious. He looked up online 
another location that provided that wire transfer service in her town. The town is an agricultural town, and so there's a very big Spanish-speaking population there. And so he purposely directed her to kind of like a mini-mart of sorts, like a small market, to transfer this money. And they didn't ask any questions, and they wired it. A little bit more to the story. Oh, I guess it actually, I'm sorry, my timeline's wrong. I think it was 2013 or 2014. So they were doing this before 2014 because I remember I was still working for the Risk Association because I had a contact at that money transfer company. And I was like, they had to have seen all the, the warning signs, right? This is a high dollar payment, several thousand dollars going from a small town in the United States to across like internationally and you know, just all the all the signs, right? We know in fraud what people should be looking at, what companies should be looking at. So I reached out to the contact that I knew there and they said, oh, well, I'm sure that was canceled. Like, it sounds like obvious fraud. And so I replied, great. When can my family member receive a refund? And I'm still waiting for that reply. And I don't have that email box inbox anymore. So I'm sure it's just been sitting there for a long time. No, clearly they missed it, which happens, right? I'm not saying I'm not trying to like shame them, but just my whole point of sharing the story wasn't so much like dog on the money transfer company itself, but actually say that at least in that one case, and it was, it was either 2013 or 2014, but I left the trade association in August of 2014. So it was before then. So I remember where I was sitting when I wrote that email. That's actually how I remember that. But anyway, so that, I mean, but again, that's one person, that's one Walmart store, that's one employee. But at the same time, as any of the work for big companies that have physical stores, it's really, really hard to be responsible for all of your employees' actions. And I'm, you know, this is a tricky situation. I'm not trying to say any one person deserves blame, right? So anyway, my initial thoughts on just the FTC release is why are they suing now in 2022 when the alleged neglect was from 2013 to 2018? Without regulations to comply with, it's a tricky argument to say what a company should have done. And I'm not saying that merchants shouldn't do their best to proactively stop fraud. I mean, gosh, I think I have 110 at least episodes that say otherwise. So that's not what I'm saying. But it's a massive gray area. And in the U.S. and on this issue and others, since there aren't specific rules for retailers who provide money transfers with their own brand or others to prevent fraud or any other type of payment or money changing hands other than credit cards, there isn't really any regulations or liability on that either. So without those regulations, I guess for me, I don't totally understand how the FTC can sue them, right? If there aren't best practices to say, hey, this is what you have to do in this situation. Are you just saying it was common sense to prevent fraud? Like, it's just, I guess this is my critique of the U.S. government. Like, if you're not going to do regulations on this stuff, then it's hard for me to understand how you can enforce things. That's just my perspective. And I'm not necessarily saying that regulations are good either. There are challenges with those too, but it's just you know, like unless you count the rules from Visa, MasterCard, and Treasures, there, there aren't any government regulations on fraud prevention with anything. Once regulations are in place, it might also not be like as much of a fight for getting budget, right? So that is one reason why I think sometimes that regulations could be good in this space because it might make fraud prevention easier to get budget when you have, because I know at least for AML and compliance, sometimes they don't don't seem to have as much trouble getting budget as 
those of us trying to prevent fraud and actually trying to prevent money loss at the company, it's not assigned to like fees and fines to them. So I don't know. It's kind of backwards sometimes. But anyway, this seems to be a growing trend on financial systems that don't have an overarching regulatory body assigning liability to one side or the other. It becomes a game of hot potato. Often banks will only refund scam victims if they're a big money customer or member if it's a credit union. Examples recently are the Zell fraud lawsuits, the OpenSea, the publicity that OpenSea has gotten for fraud on their marketplace platform. I talked about both of those pretty in depth on episode 102 on June 7th, if you didn't listen to that and want to go back. But just something I'm seeing more and more that there's more. And I mean, I don't think the consumer should be left holding the bag either. They don't have as much data as merchants or banks do. So I, I'm not saying I have the, the answer. It's just that it does seem like there are more and more lawsuits, whether they're coming from the government or coming from class action or others and headlines saying, hey, we expected these companies to protect us and they didn't. And this is usually how regulation comes out. I, you know, that sometimes regulations can be political. I'm just thinking of them from the industry perspective that would be blessings as well as curses. And my biggest challenge with any government regulations are when we've seen it in Europe, we've seen it in other parts of the world where the people who are implementing the regulations don't really understand the industry. And often if they ask industry experts, they're asking the card brands or they're asking the banks what they should do. So of course the card brands are like, hey, I have this product, 3D Secure, and I think we should make that regulatory. And I'm not saying that 3D Secure doesn't stop fraud. It's just that with SCA in Europe, there were a few more leniences outside of that. But still, it just seems like in them with GDPR, it was just this thing from up high and not really thinking about the practicality from down below. Then again, I guess I just talked all about that last Thursday on the chargeback episode with Visa's new rules coming out, that that happens whether the rules are coming from a government entity or not. So anyway, now I'll read a little bit from Walmart's response. And this is where I think you guys will find a lot of interest in this. It's kind of long, but I'll stop along the way calling things out and providing any additional context. And whether your company offers money transfers or not, I think you'll find this interesting. And, you know, some of the strategies could be applicable to your business. So I thought this was interesting. If this is like, oh, Carice, this is quite the snooze fest. Like, let me know and I won't be digging for these anymore. But I was quite surprised but impressed with how thorough this press release from Walmart was. It was really a direct response to the FTC's press release. And it's not common for PR departments or communication departments to want to go into detail on what they do for fraud prevention. So that's what caught my eye. And I'm going to be linking both of the links to both of these articles within the show notes for the episode. So if you want to look at them specifically, they are also on Walmart's website and the FTC's website, obviously, but looking at it in detail could be of interest to you as well. So the title of their press release was FTC lawsuit against Walmart is unfounded and ignores the billions Walmart has saved customers. So they've called it a misguided lawsuit. They say that Walmart has a robust anti-fraud program to help stop third-party criminals who try to use money transfer services to commit fraud. And only a minuscule number of transactions are even alleged to be fraudulent. In fact, Walmart has stopped hundreds of thousands of suspicious transactions, totaling hundreds of millions of dollars. Despite Walmart's anti-fraud programs, 
The FTC is trying to blame the company for actions by third parties, including fraud the FTC has already acknowledged was caused by another company. While that company was under federal government oversight through a compliance monitor, and during a period when that company's own fraud prevention system had failed. I'm pretty sure they're talking about MoneyGram because of all of the legal issues there. And I apologize. I had every intention to double check that with Google before I started recording. But I'm pretty sure timeline wise that that's the major. That's the main one. So they go on to say Walmart serves as an agent of other companies that actually transmit the money from one location to the other. Walmart first began offering money transfers as a MoneyGram agent in 2005 and later became an agent for Western Union. Over time, Walmart saw an opportunity to lower prices for our customers by introducing a white-label money transferring service. In 2014, Walmart partnered as an agent for RIA to launch Walmart to Walmart, a new low-cost money transfer service built around transparent, everyday low prices. I mean, there's definitely like, then the whole next section is like, what we're doing, you know, how Walmart disrupted the money transfer market and saved consumers billions. So they're obviously talking about their new product and all that, or their own product, etc. But here's the part that I think everyone listening would be interested in. How Walmart helps fight fraud. So Walmart has stopped hundreds of thousands of suspicious transactions, totaling hundreds of millions of dollars. Our efforts have been incredibly effective, resulting in fewer than two out of every 10,000 money transfers at Walmart being reported as possibly fraudulent in 2021. I'm very curious if that's like coming from post-dispute alerts or, or if they're measuring consumer contacts to them saying that it's fraudulent. They don't say and they also don't notate how they're measuring that. Below are some notable steps that Walmart takes to ensure that customers feel can feel confident using our financial services products. The first one is Walmart works with law enforcement, nonprofit and private sector partners to combat fraud. So they talk about, for example, after detecting a fraud trend in Colorado, Walmart started an investigation and worked with law enforcement to apprehend a fraudster who scammed victims across several states. DOJ ultimately charged the fraudster with defrauding victims out of more than $3 million through a property rental scam. More recently, CNBC reported that technology developed by Walmart helps the company identify and freeze millions of dollars in suspected gift card fraud. And Walmart turned those funds over to law enforcement, keeping them out of the hands of fraudsters and helping the government support fraud victims. So quick side note on that. That was the other thing I meant to mention as well, is that there are some rumblings from merchants, especially that have big brands, that they're concerned that, you know, their e-gift cards with being anonymous funds and especially being targeted more now that crypto is being regulated, etc. They're concerned that there may be more government regulations around those or lawsuits like this. Online gift cards as well as in-store gift cards are being used for scams and telemarketing scams. I mean, the biggest one is calling someone to say that they owe the tax authority money and they they have to pay it back right now or they'll be arrested and you know, the police are on their way, et cetera, et cetera. They have to pay with X number of gift cards for so much money, whatever. There are a lot of different scams like that. But so it's interesting to me that they mention gift card fraud specifically because there have been rumblings, especially the last years, where merchants are worried that this is going to be the new focus. And there's not, I mean, because Walmart and other money transfer companies have done so much with money transferring not being a target for telemarketing scams. Now it's gift cards. So gosh, if they can go after Walmart for stuff that happened from 2013 to 2018, that's worrisome for those of you that 
you know, are dealing with all that now. But we'll just put that in the parking lot. I'm sorry if I just gave you a heart attack. Okay, I'm just going to keep reading this. Walmart also works with corporate and nonprofit partners to help prevent financial services fraud. For example, and you're going to recognize one of the names here in a minute. Walmart shares information about trends and patterns in reported fraud with Money Transfer Principles, MoneyGram, and Western Union. Second bullet is what you're going to recognize. Walmart participates on the Strategic Board of Advisors for The Noble, a nonprofit network of financial crime experts on an initiative to combat financial services fraud. If you did not listen to the episode with Ian Mitchell, the co-founder of The Noble, then you probably know don't know what I'm talking about, so go back and listen to it. Actually, I've been so surprised, Ently surprised, I should say, when I ask people, like a lot of times when people reach out to me on LinkedIn and say how much they enjoy the podcast, I'll ask them what their favorite episode was and how I can improve the podcast. And overwhelmingly, Ian Mitchell from The Noble was people's favorites. I think people just didn't know that there was such a great organization using fraud trends and fraud fighting skills to help prevent financial services fraud that impacts humans, whether that's human trafficking or child exploitation or elder abuse scams and other financial scams. So good on Walmart for being a part of it. And being a part of these things can be really handy if you all of a sudden get involved in a lawsuit and your PR department comes to you and says, quick, we need to list out everything you guys do so we can show that we care about our customers and we're taking this seriously. The other portion that they highlight is that Walmart educates customers to help prevent fraud. Walmart provides warnings and customer-facing resources to help our customers recognize frauds and scams before they fall victim. These resources are available in Walmart money centers and online. So they talk about in-store warnings and they list out exactly how they do it as well as, you know, so like Walmart provides fraud awareness brochures in English and Spanish. They have customer facing fraud warnings in their store to raise consumers awareness and prevent fraud. And online, consumers who initiate money transfers online are also warned about potential scams. Their web page is dedicated to money transfers. It contains a comprehensive fraud warning, which educates customers about telemarketing scams, how to recognize when they may be the target of a scam, like if they've been asked to make a transfer in order to receive lottery winnings, like my family member, or to pay the IRS or police to get out of a warrant, how to submit complaints, et cetera, et cetera. Walmart also has an entire section of our website dedicated to fraud information, which includes, among other things, information on various frauds and scams, such as government imposter scams, grandparent scams, and tech support scams. The fraud webpage also educates consumers on techniques fraudsters may use and tips on how to avoid fraud such as not providing gift card numbers over the phone. It also includes a link to the FTC's fraud report website and encourages customers concerned that they may have been defrauded to contact the FTC. So I'm a big fan of educating customers. I mean, obviously, you can lead horses to water, can't make them drink. A lot of times these scammers have gotten so good at really convincing people and saying, you might be asked if it's a scam. And unfortunately, people are scammed in this way, but this isn't that. Or you know, they get in their head and say, I know where your child is or I know where your grandchild is or whatever. So you know, you're going to do this anyway. And there's a lot of scary, there's a lot of variations of this, but um, unfortunately it works. So other things that Walmart does, they train their associates how to help fight fraud. Before any Walmart associates can process money transfers, they must complete computer-based anti-fraud training. Each year, they go through additional computer-based training on Walmart's financial services compliance procedures and how to apply those procedures to identify, prevent, and report fraud and other suspicious activity. 
Walmart has developed our own register lockout function so that associates who are not current or required training cannot process money transfers. So they don't say when these things went into effect, but I think that that's really good. It does show that they're doing a lot. And I highlighted so much more, but this episode, like all of them, is going to be a lot longer than I thought. But so, you know, another thing is associates are also prompted to ask specifically whether customers are conducting a money transfer based on outreach from a telemarketer. If the customer says that he or she is sending money to pay for a telemarketing purchase, Walmart's point of contact services system, the POS, terminates the transaction. So in addition to annual computer-based training, Walmart takes other steps to educate consumers about fraud and then lists a bunch. Walmart's consumer fraud team and fraud monitoring. So this is probably something you'll be interested in. Within our financial services compliance team, Walmart has a consumer fraud team dedicated to anti-fraud measures, including but not limited to the following. Uh, next page. Analyzing information about money transfers to identify stores where associates may need an additional training. Analyzing information about money transfers and fraud reports to determine whether associates should be alerted about particular fraud type types or trends. And visiting and evaluating stores based on risk and recommending remediation as needed. They also talk proprietary tools with primary controls. So one is their proprietary store referrals, STAR a real-time interdiction tool and customer blocking. So being able to put someone on negative list or blocking them. And then they put this whole thing here about what's wrong with the FTC's misguided lawsuit. Much of the reported fraud that the FTC cites in its complaint against Walmart occurred when the FTC, yeah, they, wait, yeah. So anyway, when I believe it was my group, they said that the potential, they were under investigation and that fraud happened through that partner. Know that fraud was happening on all money transfer sites. So it wasn't just that. But that is an interesting point. They also say that the company's fraud interdiction system was supposed to hold and prevent the payout of potentially fraud-induced money transfers, and the FTC acknowledged that the 18-month system failure allowed millions of dollars in fraud-induced money transfers to be processed. And I think that actually is, if I remember correctly, when all that came out, I'm 90% sure that that was MoneyGram and that that may have been what happened to my family member. That massive system failure happened while the money transfer company was under federal government oversight, including FTC, et cetera, da, da, da. It also says another big problem with the FTC's lawsuit is that it wrongly claims that Walmart did not train associates to deny payouts to suspected fraudsters. This claim appears to be largely based on an apparent typo on one page of a training document from years ago and is in spite of the fact that other trainings at Walmart instructed exactly the opposite of what they claim. And then they show the examples, et cetera. So, and then they just end up being really critical of the FTC and talking about why they think they're going after them, et cetera. That's not as important. So I think it's really interesting for a lot of reasons. I mean, even if it doesn't totally pertain to what you do, I think it's really interesting that the first instinct that the company had was to publish what they do for fraud. Because we know, I mean, gosh, if you've tried to ask your communications team, if you're a merchant and you've tried to ask your communications team to speak at a conference or, I don't know, be interviewed on a podcast, it probably surprises you too that they published a nine-page document listing. I mean, I just read some of the highlights. They really list out a lot of the details. I don't think that they list out so many details and specifics that fraudsters could try to reverse engineer it. And that would be a little bit more hard if they were just focusing on online fraud, obviously. But I'm trying to see it as something that's like, huh, okay, 
at least one company's communications team has found us to be helpful and useful. And let's hope that that spreads it more. Basically, well, they primarily focused on their strategies for preventing fraud on money transfers. And understandably, because that's what the complaint was about from the FTC. I think it's a good example of how multi-layered fraud prevention needs to be. They talk about training. They talk about messaging to consumers. They talk about the analytics on the back end. They talk about the systems and being able to lock them down so that fraud can't happen. You need to have layers at every point, right? You need to have, whether that's a risk stack through your funnel, whether that is through in-store, online, et cetera, just always thinking about all the ways to cover bases to try to prevent fraud. It's not always going to be systems-based behind the scenes. Their emphasis on, you know, internal training was in-store and online was great. While no solution, even a layered approach is fraud-proof, they were able to demonstrate that they're doing a lot to try to proactively identify fraud before it's approved. And again, this isn't to comply with regulations. This is to protect their customers, ultimately their bottom line, because we know that customer trust is currency for sure. So it's rare for a retailer, especially a large one, to publicly even admit that they have a fraud department. But I've long been a proponent for PR and comms teams to see fraud prevention as an asset to build trust with their customers. You can use this as an example to your leadership. I often suggest using surveys and other articles in the press to help provide examples to leadership for various things. So here are some of the, the things you could do to use this to provide to your leadership as an example of, you know, the fact that Walmart has fraud and they've added and they admit it and they've added a lot of resources in recent years to try to mitigate it. That means that they find value in preventing fraud. They understand literally an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when it comes to payment fraud. I know that that's cheesy and I'm summoning my grandmother that passed away a few years ago because she was always big on the old timey quotes but that's I just don't know any other way to say it and like I said gift cards and other scams could be the next focus so these are things especially on non-card payments if a government entity or press or a customer you know, don't think that your company's doing enough to stop fraud or keep them safe they'll get loud we've been seeing that with Zell with OpenSea now Walmart and I think we will continue when the headlines were FTC sues Walmart the PR and comms team and I mentioned this earlier, but I mentioned again, needed the fraud department's help to publish this document to ease fear and panic. Because as we know, fear and panic can lead to stocks going down, customer trust going down, sales going down, etc. So they needed to take control of the narrative and show that they've already done a lot and aren't, aren't just sitting around and, and doing nothing. So all of this just brings several questions that I'm not prepared to answer, not just because I'm like, I don't know, 20 yards from a beach and I'm instead in a, my daughter's bedroom in the condo recording this, but and that's not important. But some of the questions that all of this arises for me is just who should be responsible in the fight against fraud when fraud occurs, right? We can do only do so much to fight it in advance before it occurs. And we need to continue to do more. That's where the focus needs to be. But when it does happen, I think we've seen with the credit card process too, 
the person, <laughs> the entity that owns the liability is usually the entity that puts the most resources into trying to stop the fraud. So is it the consumer? Is it the retailer? Is it the bank? My mind kind of goes that everyone bears responsibility. The liability is a different story. And I think when you're determining the liability, it's where's the data lie? I mean, is it mostly with the merchant or with the bank, depending on the transaction type and the payment method, et cetera? Granted, we could make a case for credit cards for banks having quite a bit of data there too, but that would be a much longer episode. And I think I shared enough of my thoughts on the chargeback liability system last, or the whole chargeback liability and chargeback rules from the card brands on last Thursday's episode. So that'll probably be the last plug for that one. But if you want to hear me there, I'll talk about that. That's the episode for that. I just recently finished a really interesting podcast. Actually, I downloaded it for the flight and I ended up listening to it while I packed the night before because it was that good called Queen of the Con. And in the last episode, they talked a lot about, you know, who's protecting the consumers from scams, whether it's a scam from a telemarketer, a scam from someone they know, someone they trust, you know, just all the different ones. I think there's a lot of thoughts that the consumers are always going to be protected. And I think we're learning and I hope that even with some of these documentaries and docuseries, et cetera, that people are learning. That's not the case. I do want to reach out to the guy who did this podcast, Queen of the Con, because there is definitely some things that aren't accurate just because they don't understand the chargeback process. And that's normal. We're used to that. But they sure made issuing banks and credit card companies sound very benevolent that they, you know, unless you were scammed on your credit card, the bank doesn't want to give you your money back. But if you're scammed on your credit card, the bank will give it right back to you. And if you're a CNP merchant, my skin was like, Rrr. and I won't reach out to him and yell at him. I'll just be like, hey, this is something not many people know. But just so you know, it's not necessarily the case. I'd love to know what you think. Should fraud on items like money transfers, crypto, card brand gift cards, check fraud, etc. be regulated in the U.S. and in other countries? And who should be liable? I mean, it's really tricky when you start getting into the details. I mean, I don't know if blanket liability makes sense. But then again, if it, there's liability based on stipulations, who's going to enforce those and who's going to come up with them? Like, it's a giant mess. Probably why we, at least in the U.S., don't have these regulations right now. But right now it's all subjective and inconsistent and just depends on the retailer and the consumer and how much is lost and who's having a bad day and how many complaints each company gets and just all of that stuff. And so at some point it's going to come to a head. And I certainly have never seen this many headlines about these types of things this close together before. So it might be coming soon. And as always, this was longer of an episode than I meant for it to be. But I this is very different for me to kind of go through this and talk about what one merchant is doing. So I would love to hear if you liked it. And actually, I even want to hear more so if you didn't like this episode, because that helps me improve even more. And then like I mentioned earlier on next week's Tuesday's episodes, it'll be all about crypto compliance and crypto fraud with Stephen Sargent. You're not going to want to miss it. I really enjoy following him on LinkedIn. I've learned a lot from him in his posts and in talking with him. And he's kind of the me of crypto, which poor guy, but just where he's building a community and he's a trusted resource and he really loves sharing information and getting people together to collaborate. And on those things, we can 
definitely have synergy and talk for hours. So we didn't talk as much about that on the podcast because that might be boring for you. But I really learned a lot from him and I think you will too. And he had some really fun, interesting stories that I haven't seen in headlines. So you have that to look forward to. I have the beaches of Maui to look forward to. Like I said, I've not had a vacation or a non-work trip in almost six years. So I'm going to do my best not to work too much more this week, except for other things I absolutely need to. But thank you all so much for your support, for listening to this podcast, for following me and supporting me and helping me be able to do this and go on vacation with my family for a week. So thanks so much. I look forward to speaking with you more next week. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.